Haggai chapter 1, <laughs> and we, uh, well, we didn't really actually look at Haggai chapter 1, but we introduced Haggai because we were looking to see what God was doing and why it would be a pertinent study for such a time as now, because they were rebuilding the temple. It was a time that Haggai had been called by God to come and deliver a message to his people. And it, the whole book of Haggai is only, if you were to take chapters 1 and 2 and put them together, it's only 38 verses. But um, it's actually four different sermons that Haggai preached to the people of Judah. Four different sermons, and he is giving a message. And so I opened last week, and so this week is kind of a continuation from last week, and, and maybe next week will be a continuation from this week. All one thought, just splitting them with hopes till uh, we complete study number one. But last week we opened with the verse, Consider your ways, go up, build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified. Go up, build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified. I don't know if any of you remember your childhood days of Sunday school. Anybody remember Sunday school? Yeah, and in Sunday school, we had to sing a song. Well, I mean, at least I did. I'm not sure if everybody in the house sang the same song, but it was playing over and over again in my mind while I was preparing. And it says, he's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Does anybody recognize the lyrics to that song? Yeah? Okay, because I don't want to sing it to you. Uh, that might be another tragedy that we... <laughs> so, <laughs> so I won't sing it to you. I'll, I'll spare you that. But he's still working on, on me. And the second, the, that's the chorus, but the verse goes, there really ought to be a sign upon my heart don't judge me yet, there's an unfinished part, but I'll be better just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. And then it goes, he's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, the Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me and so that is what i titled tonight he's still working on me because the children of judah came back to jerusalem and they found that their temple was in ruins they found that there no longer was a place of worship and imagine the despair imagine coming out of covid and finding that when you would go to the door of the church that it would have been locked Imagine coming out of COVID and, and coming into maybe getting past the door, but getting into the sanctuary and there was no pews. There was nothing the way you remembered church to be pre-COVID. Imagine before the lockdown when we were all put into this place of don't leave your homes, 
Don't associate with other people. Don't be in fellowship with other people. Only to come back to a church with locked doors, no pews, no Bibles, no somnolence of anything that represented what we cherished most, and that was God's house. And so the children of Judah come back, and some 50,000 of them, as we talked last week, come back to Jerusalem, and there is no temple. And then we talked about how they made their first priority the priority of restoring the altar of God. And that ought to be the priority of everything that we do in our life. We go first to the altar of God. Major decisions, may anything concerning our lives should begin and end at the altar of God. And so here they are. But there were some things that got in the way. They returned from their exile. They established the altar. And they began to build the temple of the Lord. And then discouragement came in. The enemy settled in. And that's where we'll look at for a brief bit tonight. That because the despondency, the depression, and the hopelessness... It hit the people hard like a transport truck square in the face. And they came to an immediate halt. They stopped everything that they were doing because of the discouragement that had settled within their hearts. And I mentioned this last week, discouragement and fear are the two most powerful obstacles that the enemy will use to stop the work of the Lord. He will stop the work of the Lord by bringing discouragement in somebody's life. He will stop the work of the Lord by bringing fear into somebody's life so that God cannot be glorified in the work that he is doing. And so remember, as I said, imagine yourself as those children of Judah coming back to Jerusalem. Put yourself in their shoes and coming back to Logos. No pews, no Bible. No, no preaching of the word, just an empty piece of land. And what would your heart yearn for the most? Your heart would be hungry. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, we need to hear from you. And you would be calling out to him. And that is exactly what they did. And then the, the encouragement would come because Zerubbabel sent those who want to return and build the temple of the Lord, go ahead. And so then they mustered up their strength together and began to build the house of the Lord. There's something when we come together to build together. We are here tonight, and we're here for prayer meeting. We're here for Bible study, but we're here with one vision. We want to see the church built together. We want to together participate in the building program of the church. I'm not talking about brick by brick like they were talking, that, that they were in the presence of doing. I'm talking about restoring back our relationship with the Lord, restoring back, bringing others in that perhaps went 
wayward during the time uh, of, of COVID. Perhaps they, they got distracted during COVID and they went away from the church. They went away from the people of the church. They, they, not because of the lockdown per se, but they disconnected. They got all caught up in what was going on and they disconnected themselves from God and therefore disconnected themselves from God's people. And here we have the means and the pleasures. Even tonight, we could be here meeting And there are those yet at home that are still part of this meeting. Why? Because they've joined in via computer, via their phones, via whatever tablet device they may have. They came together and they built the church. But then the Lord began to speak to them. And let's go to Haggai chapter 1. And it says, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people. Say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell of your, in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Let's go back to it. These people say the time has not yet come. Do you notice here in this moment, God didn't say to Haggai, my children have said. He didn't, say, he didn't reference them as my children, he says, these people. You see, they had already been back for about 18 years at this point. They could, there's discrepancies anywhere between 14 and 16 before they began to do the work of the Lord. And so they had been settled there maybe two years before that work had, had continued and or be, that work had started. And so in this settling, they had just come out of that place of exile and now they have this freedom back at home. And so what do you think they began to do? They began to rebuild their lives, but not yet in the spiritual. You see that building of the altar had not yet taken place. There is a two year window perhaps uh, it, it, and it could have been give or take, okay, in that two years. But there is a window of time when they first returned to, ba- to Babylon where they established their living accommodations, where they established their lives. And during that time, they, have, they, they still have the, uh, the fear going on. And they, um, excuse me, during this time, they are living in their paneled houses and the reason why the scripture says paneled houses is because uh, it's not talking about aluminum siding or, or wood siding, as we would say. It's, it's uh, giving the connotation that they were wealthy people, okay? They were people of wealth, and they were putting their wealth towards their home, towards building these beautiful places that they could live in, rather than putting their heart and their investments in to the house of God. Is it wrong that we build a house? No. Is it wrong that we take care of the house that we live in? No. Is it wrong that, that we should have means uh, that the Lord has blessed us with and that we carry on to take care of those things? No. But God is saying that there was a division in their heart. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet 
Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins? It's a question that he's putting out to them. Are you guys considering what you're doing? Should you not be investing into rebuilding? When you first came, you saw that that the temple was destroyed. You saw that it was no longer there, but you are investing into your house. You are investing into your place. Where Where are your priorities? And this is what God was asking them. What is the priority of your heart? It's not that he was um, putting them down for taking care of their houses, but he was getting to the narrow point of where is the matter of your heart? You see, when they first laid the foundation, they were excited. When they first laid the foundation, we read last week in Ezra chapter 3 that the priests and all of the people came together. The young men were, were praising God. The older men were comparing it to Solomon. But there were cries and there was joy in the air because the foundation had been laid. Are we building the foundation of the Lord or did we get distracted and go into building the build taking our our focus off of the lord's work and putting the focus on ourselves he's still working on me he's still working on me is the lord still working on you is he still working in areas of your life that needs to be refocused you see we can be here tonight and all of us can be sitting with our bibles and we could be listening, but there are areas of ourselves that is fighting a very true battle and a very true fight within us. And so maybe we're listening, but maybe not all of it is getting in. And so they were in, they're not any different than us. God's people had convinced themselves that it wasn't yet time to rebuild the temple. They had only gotten to the place of the foundation. Now let's go back to comparing it to ourselves. You come into the house of God after COVID and there's no pews and there's no somnolence of what you knew the house of God to represent. What's the first thing that you are looking for? God, but where are you? And somebody comes in to distract you. Somebody comes in to, to, to play on your mind. And where did we see that happening last week? We saw that in Ezra chapter 34. Excuse me, Ezra chapter 4, if you would go there for a moment. These enemies came in, and it says now in Ezra chapter 4, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the return... Exiles were building the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esaradan, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jerusalem, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, and made them afraid to build. Go back to verse 1, and it says, Now when the adversaries of Judah, do you know who the adversaries of Judah were? 
In some translation, it says, now the enemies of Judah. Do you know who the enemies were? You have to go to Kings. If you go to um, 2 Kings 17, 24, 2 Kings 17, 24, we're going to see who these enemies were. 2 Kings 17, verse 24, and it says this, And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamtha, and, and Sem... Okay, so I can't read that word, but you all see it in your Bible. And placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. So who were the enemies of God's people. I'm sorry? If we, who were the enemies in Ezra chapter 4? Okay, I'll read it again to you. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of of Samaria and lived in its cities. Okay, I'll make it easier for you. The, God's people, the people had intermarried with other people and these people were not God-fearing uh, people. They were not people that lived according to the law of Moses that was of that time. They were not living according to Judaism and so they became the Samaritans. Okay, they became the Samaritans and, and that, that's, that was um, the people of the land that came to discourage the temple from continuing to being built. These enemies were none other than the Samaritans and they, dis they brought the people into a place of fear because the Samaritans, what, what, was it, what was it that the Lord said that his people were not to do? They were not to intermarry with Uh, non-believers and so these were the non-believers they were the jews that intermarried with the other pagans that had settled in samaria and that became the result of the samaritans and so when they had these enemies that were working against them they were the samaritans why do we see that when jesus went to the woman at the well she was she was challenged that he, a Jewish man, should be asking her for a drink when she knew that they did not like each other, right? And so here they are coming. There is a mingle of a, a combination of rituals and the law of Moses, but there is not truly when they said, we worship God, these men knew that they were not true worshipers. So do you understand why they perceived them to be as enemies? They worshiped a little bit of Yahweh and they worshiped a little bit of everything else, but that comes from a divided heart. And so they were opposing the work of God. They were opposing what, the, what God's children were doing in trying to, to rebuild the temple. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses uh, 14 to 18, it tells us not to be yoked with what? 
unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? And so here are the children of God trying to build, and, and I've lost Ezra, I don't know why I lost my finger there. Here they are trying to build the temple, but these are working against them. The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. And what did they do? They bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. What did they do? They went around and they says, oh, I'm going to tell you this about them. They bribed the people, the counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius and the reign of Ahasuerus and the beginning of his reign. And they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And bottom line, they were wanting to say, look, if these people get in and they rebuild their temple, you're not going to have a say anymore. And so they tried to damage it. And so God's people are discouraged. And what does he say when they are not, when they stop for, they're not building the house of God. And he says to them, Consider your ways. What does he mean when he tells us to consider our ways? Verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of chapter 1 of Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Consider your ways is what jumps out of that portion. Why? Because in the Hebrew, this figure of speech literally means put your heart on your roads. In another words, set your heart on your ways. Look at yourselves. What are you doing? What are your actions? Consider your ways. Do you follow what I'm saying? Okay, consider your ways. What are you doing? What's the reason why you're doing it? What's the, what's the how? Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your talents? My house is not yet built, but you have built these paneled homes. You have built these places of beauty. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Consider your ways. Deuteronomy 11 verses 16 to 17 says, Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off of the good land that the Lord is giving you. Consider your ways. Stop, children of Judah. What are you doing? Stop, children of Judah. What, why have you gotten yourself in this place? But something that he says in chapter 2 obviously gives us a hint that this, this, this discouragement, because it says, and they came in chapter 1, it says, uh, verses um, 
13, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the, of, of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord their God. And on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month of the second year of Darius the king, and then on the seventh month, in the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came. In that transaction of one month, discouragement set in. In that transaction of one month, the people became despondent. And he says this to them, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it see, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet what did he, does he say? Be strong. Be strong, O Zerubbabel. He speaks first to the leader. And then he says, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua. He speaks again to the, the leader, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you. Why? Because in Hebrews 13, verse 5, he says, he will never leave us or forsake us. The enemy may come in with their false accusations. The enemy may come in to try and discourage you, to try and distract you from building what you were building. But I'm telling you, be strong. And he speaks directly to the leaders. Why? Because if the leader is strong, then it filters down to the people. If the leader is feeling weak, it's going to filter down to the people. So he speaks first to Zerubbabel, be strong, for I'm with you. And he goes to Joshua, be strong. And so the, the, he's encouraging the leaders. Because as you are strong and as you are encouraged, so the people that are around you and under you are going to feel that same strength. But then he doesn't stop with just the leaders. He says to the people, be strong all you people, and work for I'm with you. And in other words, just put out of your mind what is coming against you. Put out of your mind what is trying to hinder you. Put out of your mind all that's been said, all the words that they mustered together to go to the king, to cause him to believe he had a reason that he couldn't trust in what they were doing. Put that all out of your mind and work for I am with you. Be strong. Do the work that I've called you to do. And then he says, verse 5, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. We see that the people had become afraid. We're right back to where we were talking about in the beginning. Fear is crippling. Fear can arrest you. If you, th if you see something and you become fearful, it will cause you to stop dead in your tracks. Has it ever happened to you that you've been in a place where fear has made you immobilized, where you couldn't move forwards nor backwards? Consider your ways. And when they considered their ways and they, and they work at building the temple and they work at restoring what once was, what happens is 
discouragement tried to set in. The enemy will always come to discourage us. The enemy will always try to come and to strip us down, especially when we're in the rebuilding stage. When we're in the rebuilding stage, that's the time when he's going to come. The minute you lay that first brick down, he's going to come. The minute you lay the next brick on top of it, he's going to still be there. He's going to be tapping on your shoulder. And you know what? If we work and we keep working, what happens? We overcome the enemy that keeps tapping on our shoulder. We overcome the discouragement that he wants to plant within us. Years ago, there was a minister, a missionary, William Carey, and he wanted to go to a place to do some work. And that place was India, and he wanted to reach all the lost people of India. And at a gathering of British pastors, a well-known minister named John Ryland said to him, young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help. This is not a case at all. This, this man, John Ryland, spoke negative into this desire that this young man, William Carey, had to go back to India to be a missionary to the people, to bring the message of God to the people, that he would see Indians converted to God. And here this man goes, sit down. You're not, you're just being an enthusiast. Oh, shut it down. God, God doesn't need you, in other words. He'll do it without your help. This is not the case. God will do it, and he, but he wants our participation, is William Carey's thoughts. He's like, no, God wants to be, me to be an active part in this dream. God wants me to go there. God wants me to share his word. Why other than Jesus, would Jesus say, go into all the world and preach the gospel? He took the verse to heart, evidently, because he wanted to go to India and bring that ministry that message to his people and so he had the right idea you know what he he developed in his heart after after this negative word had been spoken over him he de he de he came with this expect great things from god and attempt great things for god Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. We come here week after week on a Sunday morning. And if we come with the expectancy that God is going to do something in our midst, if we come with the expectancy that God is going to show up, if we come with the expectancy that in that moving there will be lives saved, then you know what? God is going to do something. But then guess what is the other half? Attempt great things for God. So when you come expecting that God is going to move, then it may be expected of you to move it may be expected of you to sing out your praises it may be expected of you to reach across the pew to the person that is there and say hey my name is melody it's the first time i see you here welcome it you will have to attempt things as well as god is building you because as he's building you he's building his kingdom but what is he building ultimately in you 
If we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, he is building that temple in you. He's not done working on me, but he's not done working on you. We look at these, these um, Judeans that had come back to Jerusalem and they're wanting to see their temple restored and they're wanting to see things looking something like it used to look. And some of them are discouraged and some of them are despondent and together they're just, they all withdrew. And instead I want to say, let's not follow that example, but let's follow the example that dives in and say, I want to attempt great things for God. I want to expect great things for God, but I want to attempt great things for God. So what is the great things that I'm going to do? When I go to church, I'm going to make sure that I, I say hello to that person that is sat behind me. If they're still there this week, I'm going to make sure that I, sat, that I say hello, that we can build relationships back up again, not just come into the church on a Sunday morning How's it going, brother? Hey, sister. And we leave church, and we never asked, how are you doing? How was your week? How can I pray with you? You, 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 you? you don't seem too happy today. Everything okay? Yeah, I'm all right. Anything I can pray about? You know, and we can rebuild the family of God, and we can rebuild the temple of God, and we could see that what the enemy tried to do in destroying or stopping the work of God, we could resume it again. We could take this and make it a very practical application for ourselves. And so we can take encouragement that though we might not be in a leadership role of leading a ministry, we play a very integral part in the seat that we occupy. You know, during these elections that have been going on, I've been getting all kinds of email from a, a, a political party that I subscribe to. You know, we're not allowed to say, right? So this political party that I subscribe to keeps sending me emails saying that they need to hear from me. You know how they need to hear from me, right? They need the money because my money allows them to have more money, which allows them to do more things, which allows them to be more convincing of us and, and so forth and so on and the other. And, and the pulpit is not the place for politics. But here's the thing. They want to hear my voice through my dollars and cents. So if I send them, which I don't, if I send them, I didn't say that on camera, but if I send them money, that means I'm supporting, I'm endorsing what they're doing. I'm I'm sewing into their work because I'm saying I want to see that happen in my country, in my time. I want to see those changes happen. And I believe in you. When you come on Sunday mornings, your active part in the service gives that endorsement to the work of God and you are involving yourself that you are not just expecting great things from the pastor, expecting great things from the worship team, but you're going to attempt to do great things. This Sunday morning, you'll ask somebody, how's it going? How are you doing this week? You'll ask somebody because you'll think of 
those in, uh, in the story of Haggai, in the account of Haggai. You're going to think of them, and now Sunday morning, you're going to purposely go to somebody, and you're going to ask them, how was your week? You're, you're going to, in the ministry that you're involved in, hey, what can I do to help? The next time there's a, if you're, if you're a volunteer in hospitality, hey, can I help with the fellowship? Why? Because you're going to think of those that came back from Judah and they did everything that they could to rebuild the temple of the Lord by their involvement. It starts with us tonight and what we're doing in our prayer time. It might not be as we anticipated the, the Bible study. I'm going to stop it there. We'll, we'll pick up next week because there are better things yet to be heard in this book of Haggai. But here's the thing. When we come to the house of God and we put in our mind that we are going to be strong and we're going to work because God is with us. Why? Because his spirit remains in our midst. You know, when COVID happened and all the churches across the world had to close their doors, we're not the only one that saw declines in, in congregation attendance. That's a cross Globally, churches have seen a decline in their attendance. But you know what? God never left our midst. He never left our midst just because of COVID. He's still in our midst. And wherever we are, because we are the temple of the living God, we host his presence. So whether there's two of us or whether there's 2,000 of us, he never left our midst and he is in our midst. And so we build together for that purpose and for that reason. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Is he still working on you? Is he still building you up? Are you still before him saying, Lord, I'm building your earthly work here, but I know that you have a work to build inside of me. I know you have something to do inside of me. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part, but I'd be better just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. What will we look like when each of us here surrenders to the master's hand, to the molding and the shaping of his hand? What will the whole body look like? If you surrendered and I surrendered, you see, if one part of us doesn't surrender, it will affect the whole part. Is he still working on you to make you what he wants you to be? That's the bottom line. He's still working on me. And if he's still working on me, he may still be working on you. But there's that surrender. Amen? Father God, we just thank you. There's so much more, Lord, in your word. And God, I just pray that you would just be with us, Lord, in these days of rebuilding, in these days of 
reopening as society calls it, but Lord, you never shut us out because you've always been there. You've always been in our midst, whether we were in our homes or whether we were out and about. God, you have always been in our midst. So be with us now, Lord Jesus. Be with us now as we take the time to transition into prayer. God, as we take the time to just seek your face, Lord, concerning our church, Lord, concerning the ministries of our church, Lord, concerning the congregation, oh God, we pray, mighty Jesus, that as we spend this next period of time seeking your face and worshiping you, that, Lord, your presence would be tangibly felt and that, Lord, we would begin to see each Sunday more and more the working out of what you are doing behind the scenes and within our lives. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.